1: I think that was
2: directed at you. Oh. Uh, you know, so I'll let you take that one.
1: Absolutely. I started recording already. Um, wait, wait, because... wait. Wait, wait, wait.
0: Are you asking why my thing says understanding astronaut?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah you've got your your name is understanding astronaut. I did not I did not do that. Lakes is adventurous spokesperson. I just noticed that. I'm an adventurous spokesperson. Okay. You both just noticed that you just randomly wrote in some crazy tiles for either both of you. <laughs> Neither one of us did that. How's that? I do not believe either of you. Well,
2: now he's Mr. Pickle, and that's not true. He's- I
0: did that. I did that on purpose to be ironic. I did not do the understanding astronaut thing before. <laughs> I don't know why it said that.
1: Oh gosh. Cody. There you go. Well, Cody, uh, we have an illustrious guest with us this evening for the roundup. Illustrious um, And indeed. it is truly illustrious in that, uh, Lake, did you get an A in my ecology class? I did. Okay, so number one reason why he's illustrious. Uh, number two, Lake was probably, Cody, I don't know if you know this or not, Lake was probably, it could have been the second person that I approached with the idea of blood origins. Yeah, we came to a coffee. I I said, "Hey, Lake, are you in town?" You said, "Yes." I drove up. We met in a coffee shop in Clinton, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. and I sort of just brainchild out to you, like, "What do you think?" And you said, "Man, this is perfect timing because these all the big industry guys are getting together." And you said something along the lines of, "They're getting together to think like, what what's next? Like, what do we have to do?" Right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I remember it being uh, that conversation, kind of being it's kind of a lot for me to process from just from like, obviously I knew you, but up until that point, we had never really had any kind of in-depth conversation that wasn't, you know, student professor related. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, we kept in contact with one another post post me, you know, leaving school, but I didn't, when you said you wanted to talk, I really didn't know what, I, you know, I didn't really know what to expect, and then you, you came with that idea, and I was it was it was a lot, and uh, I was like, man, this is a big big project. And you being the way that you are, I could tell how. Uh, I, I mean, you're I mean, you're an enthusiastic, you know, really focused person to begin with. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I could just tell like how how uh, what's the word here? Strongly. That's not uh, really. Not strongly is not a hard word for me to try to think of for that long, but I could tell how you felt about this, about that project, and it's cr- crazy. Like, how long has that been now? Five years. Four years. Four yeah, years. Yeah,
1: almost. This this September will be five years, and and Cody Lake was the first pilot, right? So we did a pilot. We did my pilot. We did Lake's pilot. We did Keith Polk, who's Lake's mentor, and um, that's how it all started. Lake just I took. Did-
0: Lake just took 10 to minutes and all of his southern manners to not say you talk too damn much in that first meeting. That's he just that's what he was struggling with. He was like, How do I not make it sound? I don't want to say, Robbie, you just wouldn't shut up, so I couldn't get a word in. So he took like 10 minutes to lay it out in a polite way.
2: Okay, Cody Cody
1: just broke the ice, so we can talk candidly <laughs> now. <laughs> I will say this, Cody, one of the things I'd like you to take away from this conversation is Lake still calls me Dr. Kroger. So, Cody, I'd appreciate if you refer to me as Dr. Kroger from now on, too. Good luck with that. In my home, is Dr. Kroger. That's not even a lie. I can pull it. I can
2: show it to you if you want. It's still in there as Dr. Kroger. It's just...
0: Yeah, good luck with that. There's
2: been like... There's been a couple of times where I'll run into past students from the forest resources and like a common ground we'll find with one another is they'll go. Do you have Dr. Kroger's ecology class? But like, yeah, and no one believes
1: me when I said I got an A. But <laughs> an exceptional student. <laughs> so Lake, why don't you go, and, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself? We've been talking about you and how you've been engaged with the Blood Origins Project, but why don't you introduce yourself to the roundup audience?
2: Sure. So uh, my name is Lake Pickle. Um, and I do, I feel like when I say that, to introduce myself, I did. Uh, so that is my, like, that's the name on my birth certificate. It's not a nickname. It's it's, it's Lake Pickle. Um, so I was born and raised in central Mississippi, um, grew up in a outdoor related family, grew up fishing, grew up hunting. Uh, the love for hunting kind of drew me to where I went kind of as a, uh, college path, you know, I was a forest wildlife and, uh, fisheries, and culture science major at Mississippi state. Um, uh, that kind of indirectly through some internships led to a career that I've still ha- that I still have with Primo's hunting, uh, working with the video department Been doing that. It'll be crazy enough to say I've been there seven years this upcoming September. And, uh, that's been, it, it's been such a blessing, you know, um, so that's, that's the majority of what I do. You know, now I do, I, I branch out a little bit more. I started doing some real estate stuff with whitetail properties, but yeah, everything about, I guess my day-to-day life revolves some way around being outdoors, hunting and fishing, something along those lines,
1: you know? Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we dive into the roundup topics today, uh, we have a couple of, um, announcements, um, we did drop Bert Soren's episode last Friday, Blake. I think this is episode number 60 or 61 and you were episode number two of blood origins.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, Cody last tally on Facebook, we're at 285,000 views.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, it's not Kim Kardashian numbers, but that's uh we love that kind of a response. Um, and that's just facebook it's let like, the last time i added them up it was three hundred three hundred and seventeen thousand 317,000 across all platforms um and you know what you just said it and i apologize in a, in a week right in 8 days
1: yeah we dropped it on friday so yeah 8 days 7 days
0: yeah if phenomenal episode um all, all I, I i think all of our episodes are great but bert's uh, uh hit home and uh obviously he's developed a very passionate following of people and that always helps when you're when the subject of your story has a, a good a good following of people that are passionate about the things that they do and say it doesn't hurt that his company's motto is it's in our blood as well that's a a cool aspect of it but no yeah that's go check out the video it's powerful powerful stuff about kind of the multi-generational thing of you know He's in that uh, he's in that gap where um he's he's bringing his children into it while at the same time you know still uh, there are three generations of them and it's a it's it's a cool, cool story and and done very well and you know as the guy that sits and worries about views and downloads all day long, three hundred plus thousand from a single episode in a week is. Makes me look good. I mean, it's all my doing basically.
2: (laughs) You got this guy because he was humble. I can see that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I brought the
0: the ego of the organization down a little bit.
1: (laughs) You know, it's uh, the other announcement we have is obviously we are still running our supporters program, and June is a new batch of giveaway items. We have a custom knife from, I don't know how you say his knife company v-a-g-r varga maybe varga knives um completely custom knife you can choose the wood type you can choose the knife style you can choose the etching style 350 worth of knife that's going to be given away to someone uh we have a quail hunt in mississippi that we're giving away in june um several discount codes uh all sorts of good stuff um and I did get an, a, uh, an email from our traditional bow maker, uh, uh, Kush-tuk, Kushtuk Bows, right? right. Maybe I think that is Kushtuk Bows. He told me that he is starting to build the trad bow that we're going to give away. And that's probably going to be in July or August. And he's going to wrap it with like rattlesnake skin. and It's going to be an incredible trad bow that people can win for what? The, cup of a, the cost of a cup of coffee a month.
0: Yeah, really, a cheap cup of coffee, honestly. That 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 uh, bow maker's an incredible. I love it when they reach out, right? And he was one of the he was one of the original ones, um, one of the first ones since I've been involved that reached out to us and said, "Hey, I want to do something." As opposed to, you know, my job being kind of to initiate those conversations and keep those things and get those things going. I, I love it when they reach out. You, you know that a business is passionate when they reach out to you and say, we want to do something. So all the business people out there listening to this, feel free to contact us first. It won't bother us at all.
2: Well, and then I'll say this for y'all. It's got to be encouraging on y'all's end when y'all have people approaching you saying, hey, I like what you're doing. Let me, let me give to this in this way. You know, that, that's, that's a telltale. That's a key indicator that you're doing something right. The, you're, the heart of what you're doing is reaching other people when you start seeing
0: that. Absolutely. Like
1: you're a supporter, right? You've signed up, right? Have I? I don't know. I, don't... <laughs> look, I
0: can look that up really quickly.
1: No, the answer is no. The answer is a negative. He has not signed up yet.
0: Yeah. It's probably, you know, at Primo's pay, can't afford $3, uh, $3 yeah. a month.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can't afford 3 bucks a month. I understand. Right. I understand. A lot of money, man. Yeah. All right, Lake, well, since you are the, uh, the guest on our roundup, we typically like to start with you. Um, if there was an article that we sent you that uh, particularly sparked an interest in you or something that you want to bring to the table, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, just as a fair warning, uh, myself and Cody uh, are easily agreeable, but also easily disagreeable with uh, the position that you will take on any of these articles. So please, what what do you wanna talk about first? The one the one that stuck out to me the most
2: um, was the one about the euthanized grizzly. Mm, good um, one. So for me, like I, I'm not, as far as grizzly bears goes, I'm, my knowledge on grizzly bears are minimal, uh, but- for, Have you hunted a grizzly bear, Blake? No, I really, like I would. Like I would like to go hunt one one day at this, but they've just always, they, I don't know, grizzlies just intrigue me. Um, and so you, you're obviously, you hear stories, especially now uh, in the press, you know, st- stuff like this, grizzlies getting euthanized and talking about grizzly hunt bands. And there's just stuff, there's always drama going on around grizzlies. And so I just, I'm always drawn to them because I've always had an interest in that particular animal. So that one, if I had to pick one, it's going to be that one. But then I also you know, saw the one about, the, what was it, they, uh, they were celebrating two court victories. Um, along. But, so, but if I had to pick one, it would be the, about the
1: grizzly getting euthanized. All right. Well, let's start there. So the, the title of the article is uh, Grizzly Euthanized by WGFD, which is the Wyoming Game and Fish Department. And they had to euthanize a two-year-old male grizzly. Uh, because of, they don't really say this word at all in the article, but habitu- habituation, um, sort of the idea that they have no, you know, they're not afraid of humans. Uh, they were seeking out human food, they're getting into trash and the bird feeders and whatnot. And uh, based on, you know, they tried to move this, this animal. They took it 20 miles away. It came back to the same place. The only thing I didn't get and understood a little bit, and, and Cody, maybe you know this, is it was all tied to um, two other grizzlies, Grizzly Six Ten and the offspring of famed Grizzly Three Ninety Nine. Yeah. Do you know who Grizzly Three Ninety Nine is, Cody?
0: Ah, uh, Three Ninety Nine was just a very habitualized grizzly that that uh, I, I don't I don't believe Three Ninety Nine was ever. Uh, I, this is. This has like a 55% chance of being accurate. I don't believe that 399... I do i have heard of 399. It was a grizzly that got famous um, and was very used to being around people, but I don't think caused problems. Um, it, just to reiterate what you said, the article doesn't do no, nothing against whoever wrote the article, but it was just like, here's a bear... We don't think it's related to this famous bear. That was kind of the whole tie together there. I didn't. I didn't get that part of it either.
2: Yeah, there was supposed to be some kind of like testing they could do to determine that. Or, yeah,
0: right? 399 nine's dead now, so they're doing DNA testing to see if it's. But I still don't know what that does. Like, does he get their death benefits or something? Because he's related. I don't understand why. Why it's a, a big tie in. Um, and maybe it's more. I'm guessing that erupted. it had
1: something to do with. It was almost an inference that this was an offspring of six of Grizzly bear 610 six ten six ten was an offspring of three ninety nine, and there was an inference through that sort of connection that habitualization may be something that was a learned behavior. Ie, hey, they, that's how this grizzly became habituated. Was they learned the behavior from the mom? They learned the behavior coming downstream, and I think that was what they were trying to articulate, which is completely true. It happens all the time in in the wildlife game. That you know that that learned behavior. You know, we we're trying to figure it out when it comes to sea turtles in Australia. Like, there's uh, there's a yes, yeah, sea turtles in Australia. There is. Cape York in Australia that is phenomenal for pig hunting and pigs there have learned to go onto the beaches because seven all seven of the endangered sea turtles nest on the on the beaches of Cape York and so the there's a certain sector of pigs that have learned behavior that is obviously handed down through the generations to dig up Nests of sea turtles on the beach and eat their eggs. Leave it to the pigs.
2: Oh. <laughs> that's the greatest. Not, I, I, I swear, other than humans, I think pigs are the most destructive species. Like, yeah, they. Well, and really,
0: we're responsible for the pigs. So, I mean, sure,
2: oh, yeah. No, well, again, that's with, yeah. I, That's why I preface that with other than humans. They're the second most destructive. That's why. That's
0: yeah. They'll tear some stuff up. That's for sure. Yeah. I took from this article, I hate the euthanization thing. Um, you know, I see a lot of news articles where to me, there ought to be like a panel. And if the human being goes where they shouldn't or even goes to the bear's territory and gets eaten, like if I'm walking around in the back country in Yellowstone and I get eaten, I'm gonna have left in my will, please don't go mess with that bear. I I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. He just ate a snack that was at his place. This to me is probably a good example of of a wise choice to euthanize euthanize. They have they've tried to haze it, they've shot it with paintballs, they've they've uh, sedated it and relocated it at least once maybe multiple times like this is one where like all right this isn't going to work this things in people's backyards we can't have grizzly bears in people's backyards that that's kind of what i took out of that article was okay i'm glad to see there's this is a time when when lethal use for a bear human conflict um was probably a good choice i'm i'm just not a big fan of you know that that movie uh grizzly man or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean yep. I don't I don't think whatever are, him. I I don't I don't want to no disrespect to that human being or his family, but I kind of think those bears should have just gone on living, you know? Um and it happens multiple times, but I do think this is a good example of of uh intervention that the euthanization was the answer for. Yeah.
2: I mean, one thing that I did pick up specifically in that article is it was like a, an excerpt from uh, one of the biologists, I think, and he he bit, he was sure to notate that, you know, this was a difficult decision. You know, euthanizing, killing a bear is not something that we take lightly. I thought that was very important. That one that he said that too that they included that on that article because you are right. You know, I, I I'm sure there's differing opinions on this, but I mean just the other day, I'm sure do both of y'all follow Nature is Metal on Instagram. Oh. That is, that uh, I love that page. Um I'm pretty I think it was on it, it had to have been on that page, but it was a, a video of this woman and she was at Yellowstone and she was outside of her vehicle. Oh yeah. With her phone. I mean she had she had her phone out and she's videoing a grizzly with I believe she had Cubs with her and it you know it it false charged her and I was like that woman has no clue you know i mean she really i mean with behavior like that no disrespect to her but she obviously doesn't know anything about that animal other than what she's seen on movies you know and what would have happened if the grizzly charged her and killed her they probably would have euthanized that bear you know or some they probably would have had to and to your point you're like. In that situation, that's not the bear's fault, you know, (laughs) in the bear's mind. So those kind of conflicts, you're like, that's just not the best. But in this one, like you said, I could see, even though I I don't necessarily like it, I could see where this one could be justified. But I thought it was, again, back to my original point, I thought it was really good that they said that this was not something they took lightly. They put some thought into this and apparently tried to, you know, exhaust all other options before euthanization.
0: I got a quick Yellowstone story. So my dad is, there's really no other title that you can give him other than he's a Yellowstone nerd. I mean, <laughs> as you're driving through the park, my dad's like this fire happened here because this guy's camp. And I'm like, How? he he goes, he now goes once a year. I would estimate that at, I think he's 60, 68. Um, I bet he's been 45 times. um, and I can remember when I was a little kid, maybe ten or eleven. We were in the park, driving down the road. Dad's also, my dad's also was a forty-five plus year law enforcement veteran. So we, we followed the rules; like, just didn't matter. Like you followed rules. But we're driving down the road. The cars start to stop. You know, that's kind of the signal. There's a whole bunch of cars stopping. There might be something we're seeing. We stop and pull over to the side of the road, and probably this is a thirty-five year old memory, but. Probably three hundred yards off the road, in this really tall grass, I would say four foot tall grass that I would also call sawgrass. I don't know why probably isn't sawgrass, but that seems like the word to use was a but was a huge bull moose standing like three hundred yards off the road, and everyone else is walking through this grass. I mean, they're closing the distance, right? And I can remember being pissed at my dad. I got my little you know whatever piece of crap, plastic camera that they gave the kid. Right. And I'm like, dad, this thing don't work at 300 yards. I need to get closer. Let's go. And my dad's like, no, you're not even getting out of the car. Like I'd talk him into rolling the windows down. And I remember thinking he was an idiot that we were missing out on this experience. And I'm talking like a herd of like 60 people get halfway out there. They're like 150 yards from this bull moose that's just staring at him. And I'm talking an old, big Yellowstone beast. And they get out there. I'm mad, pouting. I have my head down because I'm mad at my dad. And I hear a scream. And in between us and the herd of people, another one stood up out of this sawgrass bigger and started snorting at the people and the other one. And I could just, my dad didn't even say anything. He just turned and looked at me like, This is why I'm (laughs) the old man and you're the stupid kid. And that's my, that's the thing that burned in my brain. You know, that stay in your car in Yellowstone. And sure as heck, if you decide to not do that and and go out into the back country, which I've done. i' i've 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 walked all over Yellowstone. Um, but again, if a moose tramples me or a bear eats me, here's the recorded evidence. Please don't do anything to that animal because I walked into their house, and they're the king. That's my Yellowstone story
2: no, I, I, I feel the same way. It's just like, obviously it's a, it's like a thing, like you feel that way more likely because you were, you know, exposed to that environment. You know, you're, you're taught at a young age to have a respect for those certain things. So it's, it's like, there's obviously there's a, there's a gap there, you know, between these people that just come driving through there that just don't understand. They see this animal and they want to go, let's get out of our car and walk straight towards it. But it, it's a, I don't know. It's it's a tricky situation. Obviously, these things happen all the time. It's just unfortunate that typically the whoever's fault it may be normally is the human's fault, but the the blame or the, the the consequences get taken out of the animal. It's unfortunate. But I, obviously, I we're
0: remiss if we don't deal with the fact that I'm a firm believer that if human beings we're establishing we're we're going to see more grizzly bear problems in in the northern rockies um until until we reestablish a season and start to put fear back into them um of of human beings with rifles um and that's not some ploy that i want to go shoot a grizzly bear in montana it's a it's we we there's a psychological aspect to it of if they're not scared of humans, then they're not going to be scared of humans because they're bigger and badder than we are if we can't use a rifle on them. Um, so there's, there's uh there's something to that. And we're going to see a rise in it just like the California mountain lion attacks.
1: Yeah. I think we're on the same page there. So segueing we, uh, there's another article about Grizzlies that we have in the lineup. Um, and, uh, Cody, I don't know, you've been in this world a little bit longer than I have, but I've never heard of the Mountain States Legal Foundation. And, um, who, do you know who they are, Cody?
0: Um, I don't believe so.
1: So the Mountain States Legal Foundation, uh, in this article says, uh, the MSLF is their, uh, acronym scores victories on grizzly cases. And, um, it's almost like they have they were seeking to, you know, obviously we have the Center for Biological Diversity, uh, who is the classic uh, opponent of anything tied to sustainable wildlife management, specifically tied to wolves and, and grizzly bears. Um, but in Montana specifically, a federal judge ruled against the Center for Biological Diversity. This article is actually written and, and published on April the 9th. Of 2021. Um, and went against the Center of Biological Diversity petitioning who petitioned the US Fish and Wildlife Service uh to update the bear recovery plan across its historical range. Um, and so there were two cases, both were uh argued in favor of MSLF uh and not in favor of the Center for Biological Diversity. And so it was it's the sort of almost the classic scenario that um, I don't know. It, it may be more and more this way, uh, especially in in sort of the the district courts like Montana, that they start seeing that hey man, you've got these species that are recovering, and we see that recovery on the landscape itself.
0: Yeah, it's still. I looked at the staff of the Mountain States Legal Foundation, so I do know some of the know who some of those people are. Um, It's still some of this stuff. Still, even if the argument goes the way I agree, I I don't. I really don't know why. I don't know how to fix it either. But judges who went to law school shouldn't be making these decisions. That I mean, it's it's people that got A's in Doctor Kroger's class, maybe should be making these decisions, but a lot more so than a judge that went to, to law school. And again, I'm telling you, I don't care which way they argue, even if they agree. Now, what I do like is when the judge says, Hey, the biologist said, this is what should happen. That's what's going to happen. That's in my opinion, what a judge should do with their authority. And hopefully that's what, that's kind of what it sounds like happened here a little bit. Um, that's the part of it that bugs me, though. You know, I'm I'm very much a liberty-based person and a power of the people person, but the masses shouldn't be making scientific decisions about things. Um, nor should judges, who you know, they he may have got an F in Doctor Kroger's class, and but so he became a judge, right? Um, that's that's the that's what I always take from these from these court case hearings. I, I want to do a little celebration when they go my way, but I still wish they weren't in the courts. I wish the biologists who spend their day studying these animals and have made decisions about them were the ones that got to make the final decisions
2: about them. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, that's like a, that topic could go that topic alone that you brought up. Could go, Cause you you see that happen a lot these days, man, the, the decisions being made on a lot of uh, wildlife and, habitat decisions doesn't always end up in the hands of the biologists it goes with like you know i mean well that's how the like the grizzly bear hunting ban that kind of stuff happened in the first place right you know it wasn't it wasn't the people that studied that stuff that had actual facts from experience experimentation and you know years or how many hours time spent out of the field coming up with that that verdict it was folks who you know didn't know anything about the animal and that goes back to it's kind of where all this problem I guess, derives
1: from. Yeah. Yeah, you just ask anyone in the back country of BC right now if grizzly bear populations are increasing. And 99 out of 100, if not 100 out of 100, are going to be saying absolutely.
0: Meanwhile, there's active efforts to permanently eliminate grizzly bear hunting in BC.
1: So uh, how do we get out? Is the Are we ever going to get out of the cycle of constant lawsuits, CBD, HUSS, HUS? It, I don't think it, there isn't. It's never going to end.
0: I I think on a species by species basis, it will. I think part of it is actually. I mean, if you look at the wolf thing, right? Like in the history of wolves, for sure, and even the history of this country, the whole wolf argument, the part of it that we're talking about right now, is really only about forty-five years old. Right from the from the discussion of reintroduction to the reintroduction to the quote unquote whatever you think overpopulation to they're legal to hunt again in the big scheme of things in a democracy that's not a really long time to solve a not that it's solved but it really looks like we're coming to the tail end of this wolf thing right like everyone that that the middle group our non hunter group. Like, we talk a lot about hunters, anti-hunters, and then everyone else is a non-hunter, right? They just don't think about it a lot. They're not, they're not real partial either way. I think the non-hunter group is starting to go, man, seems like there's a lot of wolves. You know, maybe, maybe we should quit giving HSUS $50 a month to save the wolf because it seems like we kind of did it. There's a lot of wolves around. Now, I, I'm not saying it's over, right? We still got problems in Idaho. I live in the state of Colorado, where we just voted to put some in, but I do see that tailing off, right? And I see the grizzly bear and the mountain lion coming up as the next popular fundraising one. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you just have it has to be like the wolves. You have to take the data, you have to show the repercussions, you have to prove it all out. Um, and that burden is always going to rely on the side or that burden is always going to rest on the side that thinks that lethal management is, is, is one of the legitimate tools, right? It's really easy to say we shouldn't be killing these animals because there aren't very many of them left. Boom. You don't got to say anything else. If you're on that side, we, we have the burden of proving it. Um, so I think it will ebb and flow. I don't know what will happen after the grizzly bear. We'll be hunting grizzly bears in the Northern Rockies in the next five years. I I truly believe that because this potential...
1: Well, didn't they have a grizzly season in Wyoming?
0: Nope. No, no.
1: Somewhere they had a bunch of grizzly bags and they were going to get bought up.
0: They did. Some of them did get bought up and then a federal judge stepped in and shut the whole thing down. Okay. Yeah. Nowhere in the lower 48 right now. Um, But... The reports are coming, right? I mean, the first article that we that we talked about, the the bears are going to end up in people's backyards and someone's gonna go, what are we gonna do? And as long as you're not the state of California where they just decided they'll kill more of them than hunters ever did with mountain lions instead of reinstituting a hunting season, um, that's not gonna happen in Montana and Wyoming. They'll they'll, you know, they went against everyone and got wolf
1: seasons back in. So Cody, I think I've just figured out our next blood origins conservation project.
0: You want to move mountain lions in California?
1: No, I want to move grizzlies to California. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're running low on black bears, according to Senator Weiner from downtown San Francisco.
1: Yeah, yeah, and know. the population is the highest that's ever been. He would know. The thing the thing that like gets me
2: though, is like, cause I, I agree about, you know, it will ebb and flow, but it's frustrating. And I don't really know if there could be a fix, but like it's it's almost like it's to be a point. It's, it's like everything you said, it's easy to be on the side, especially to a non-hunter, right? You go, there's not a lot of these things, we shouldn't be killing them. Well, someone who's not a hunter goes, yeah, obviously, if there's not a lot of them. Why should we kill them? That's the wrong thing. Let's do this thing. So, and when that happens, every time it has to get to a point where, there's some kind of conflict. There's a human wildlife conflict or the, you know, there's like, well, now we don't have, now this number of animals is getting low because this predator is killing so many of them because they're not in check anymore. It's like, it has to get pushed to that point before they go, Oh, you know what? We were wrong. Let's go back to this. You're like, why can you, you know, why can't we find this before we hit a problem? Why, why do we have to hit a wall before we decide we had to fix? This? it? just seems like there's so many things we could do to, to bypass all that complication, but it's what's mm. happened time and time and time again.
1: It's frustrating. No, it, it it certainly requires something to tip it over the edge for any sort of lethal management to be considered.
2: Well, it's like you said. There's gonna these bears are gonna end up in people's backyard. That's what's gonna happen. And you know, like well, God forbid someone get killed, but I mean, that's that's what could happen. I mean, they these are grizzly bears we're talking about. <laughs> you know, I mean they're. They're grizzly bears. You don't have to. You don't have to describe them as some kind of like big monster. That's that's what they are. But that's what they're supposed to be. You know, hundred percent.
0: You also have the charismatic thing, and you have the marketing machine behind HSUS and PETA and Defenders of Wildlife, because you know we we've seen the data on. I don't want to get a dent in my car, and I don't want to get my flowers eaten. So I'm okay with controlling white-tailed deer, right? It's 80 plus percent of the country is okay. Not supportive. They're just not against managing white-tailed deer herds with lethal methods. Um, But then just randomly we pick out these other animals. And that's done by HSUS and Defenders of Wildlife and those groups realizing how much fundraising they can do. They'll make an animal. I mean all you see is cute little wolf pups howling and wrestling with each other on their website. Right. You know, if I'm going to save those two wolf pups, I'll give you 20 bucks. <laughs> and, right. That, that it's, it's, and that's, that's what does it is the incredible marketing and fundraising machines behind them. Um, and I mean, I've seen that data. It's, 100 million plus dollars HSUS raised on the wolf and somewhere between 17 and 18 million of it actually went into wolf related projects. They just got rich and got a plane and built an office building. And that's why they pick, you know, they pick those animals. Um, and, you know, just create, create data about how, if the wolves kill all the ungulates, the ferns will grow better. Um, and it's a it's a marketing machine that unfortunately we have to deal with a huge slam before the science wins. Right? It's Every time. emotion always skyrockets and then science has to chip away at it slowly to get us back down. Well, that's to, the
2: thing, right? Like you said, it's one of the big marketing ploys. They find something they can emotionally attach to, you know, whether it be a bear or or a wolf. It's, it's always, that's the thing they figure out a way to get you emotionally invested in this animal. Like if I show, like, I, said, I mean, it's a wolf, you know, a wolf puppy, of course it's cute. It's a puppy, you know, whereas to like, this is, um, uh, there was, it was Rogan was talking about it. He was talking about like catching hate from anti hunters and that kind of thing. He said, uh, you put up a picture, I think, I mean, I'm probably going to butcher it, but I remember, I remember he talked specifically about, he put up a picture of a turkey that he killed on his Instagram and no one got mad at him. Like no one gets emotionally connected to a turkey because it's a bird. I don't know, you know. uh, But, you know, I remember the first, uh, the first like negative or or I guess malicious comments I ever got was from a, uh, I didn't even, I wasn't even the hunter. I was just filming it. Uh, I was on a bighorn sheep hunt and I posted a picture of a bighorn sheep and some dude, I don't remember who he was, but he got in the comments and blasted me, you know, because there's a bighorn sheep, you know, and he thinks that, you know, there's not a lot of them and we're killing the sheep and we're going to kill all the sheep. Doesn't doesn't know the story behind this herd of sheep and the Ranching for Wildlife program and all the conservation funds that went into that particular herd that we were hunting. He doesn't know anything about that. He just knows we killed a sheep and we're the bad guys.
1: Yeah, but Lake, nobody knows that. What you just articulated, everything you just said, nobody has ever dis- discussed it nobody's ever decided to talk about it nobody's decided well this is something that we should be showing as a hunting community so you can understand why he gets up there and goes well i think there's only 30 sheep and you just killed one of them that's not a good thing
2: Yeah, and i've even you know and part of this i, I credit to to people like you and knowing you I- growing up again growing up in central mississippi you grow up invested you're in a hunting culture, whether you want to be or not. Even if you're not in a family that hunts, if you grow up here, you're going to be around hunters and you just kind of, you kind of just have an understanding of it because you're so exposed to it. So as I got older and like I said, got to know, you know, your, your project and that kind of thing, I started think I started thinking about things I never thought about before. I was like, what if I was someone my age and had no clue about hunting at all? And from that person's perspective, I can see if I don't know anything, if I know nothing and I hear these people saying that hunting these animals is actually going to keep them around, that would be a hard thought to, to wrap my head around. You know, it's it's not, it's not an easy sell. A lot easier sell is going, we should stop hunting them. That'll save them. You're like, well, that kind of makes more sense on the surface, you know,
1: well, that's exactly what New York and Connecticut are doing right now, right? The legislation that we put on the, the list that New York and, and and Connecticut are trying to, well, they pass out of the Senate, both of them, that uh, they are going to ban the import and possession of iconic African species. Because to your point, Lake, stopping the hunting of lions is, should save lions. And unfortunately, it's the exact opposite.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, and again, like how? It's like how how long will that go on? I, get, I mean, like, what do you, what do you do to to fix that? Obviously, we're not making positive enough strides, or you wouldn't have stuff like
1: that happening. Because, it, in your opinion, you know, you don't. It, it's there's it to us as a messaging thing. Obviously, we're going to speak from a blood origins perspective. It's a messaging thing that we're doing all the time right now. Sure, but to our last talking head, and I got fairly pissed off about it we don't we actually do not show the consequence of these actions for instance there's places in africa where hunting has stopped but nobody has gone in there to say look this is what's happened unfortunately you would need a baseline right you would need to say this is what it was like now without hunting this is what it is like uh, but that is the one, that's one where I'm convicted. Cody's convicted. That's the one thing I really want to show. I want to show a place that was hunted and show the wildlife, show the people, show everything about the place. And then unfortunately, I think we need a place where hunting has just has been taken away from that same place and show the impact.
0: But that ties, that ties back into what Lake was saying earlier. We can show you the proof in a positive way right now. I mean, we can show you literally dozens of species Mm -hmm. that were on the brink, recovery efforts, including hunting-based management for them. You know, I mean, look at the white-tailed deer, right? Look what hunters have done for white-tailed deer, for wild turkeys, for so many populations. You can do it in Africa as well. I mean, South Africa is... Like like chasing North America for look what organized hunting can do for animal populations. We can show them that. But you're right, Robbie, that we're going to have to show them something horrific. Like the the only thing that's going to sink in is here's country A where there is hunting and there's animals. And then we stop the hunting and two years later, here's the negative effects of that. That's We're going to have to make it horrific and live through live through that and the shittiest thing is um, american legislators in new york and connecticut are going to start the snowball down the hill of of ruining those those programs and that conservation effort and that economic stimulus for those countries and we got to stick our nose in it over there um yeah. And I don't know. I feel like I'd get on a soapbox. I'll stop. Well, it's not
2: a soapbox. It goes back to, I mean, it, it's it's the same premise to what we were just talking about. It, it gets to a point. Every time you have these guy, kind of, it gets to a point where you're like, there's a problem. And now we had to fix it. What's the fix? We go, we go back to what we knew the fix was in the first place, because the science shows that this stuff works, you know, and it's. I can see where it's frustrating.
1: Well, it is frustrating, but because you sometimes think you're on an island. But I will say this, and one of the things that I sh- I shared with you is a, a, a video done by The Economist. Um, and again, I'm not very familiar with The Economist in terms of a publication. It seems like a very even keeled publication; doesn't have a bias towards Republican or Democrat. Cody, do you know about whether they are or are not? Um, I
0: would say they have the slightest tilt left. That's why I grabbed the article. Um, not they're not a, uh, you know, they're not a, a, a liberal rag, and they're not a conservative rag by any means. Um, I, I do feel like I don't know. Maybe that's just my own bias in their sure. reading sometimes. But that's the reason I grabbed the article because I was like, holy cow! Well, the video is a incredible. legitimate, a legitimate worldwide news organization kind of add some stones, right, to, to run it out there.
1: Yeah, and what I loved about it was the video The video had Maxie uh, Louise. Uh, I can't remember her other name. She has three names. But Maxie from Namibia, who is a community conservancy leader. And then they had Amy Dickman, who we've had on the podcast, who is a non-hunter, a, actually a vegetarian, but understands the value of trophy hunting, the model of trophy hunting in Africa. And it was a very, very good video. And it was just like, wow, this is the kinds of stuff that we want. This is the kind of thing that we need. And we need more of that. I even just saw a um, a video come out of Zimbabwe, which is like a state of the nation address. And it was this lady talking about the elephant population problem that they have in Zimbabwe. And what are they going to do about it? But it was phenomenally produced. It was had graphics. It had, it had graphs. It had something that you would think like, whoa. This is like produced by a 60 minutes kind of deal, but it was out of Zimbabwe's, you know, head news station. It's that kind of stuff that we need more and more and more of. And it is essentially, you know, that's why I asked the question about The Economist, like we need something that is very much out of their field saying, hmm, there's something here, people you may want to open your eyes, open your ears and listen and see what the value of trophy hunting actually is for the wildlife, for the people.
0: It was great to have that. Cause there's so many, there's so many people, it, especially in the, in the specific to the African argument, there's so many people that can rip off statistics that none of the money goes back to the community. None of the money goes to concert, you know, like someone has like scientists not not professors in Mississippi but some scientists have done studies and are claiming they have proof that there's no benefit and like once you have scientists data people saying there's no economic benefit to the communities which is just a pile of shit I've only been over. I can guarantee you there's a hundred percent one place in the Eastern Cape of South Africa where the community benefits a whole bunch from hunters because I've been there, I've seen the actual benefit happen. And now I know of, you know, many more over the last year. By the way, we sh- that should have been a thing. Two days ago was my one-year anniversary of Blood Origins. I, thanks for not...
1: Well, dude, I was waiting to... I was going to have a very big finale to this podcast. <laughs> and just because of your ego now, I can't like do the, the big finale <laughs> to say thank you for being a part of us for a year. Thank you, Cody.
0: Right. Excellent recovery. Anyway, within that year, I've seen many more examples. It's good to have a legitimate... I mean, even when Amy Dickman came out, who I think Amy Dickman would probably be okay if we said she was an anti-hunter. Like she does not like hunting, but she 100% recognizes the benefit on the continent of Africa and the damage that will be done to the animals if it went away. She just got destroyed. Like she did, they just totally tried to discredit her. Like she's lying and SCI is lining her pocketbooks. Because they gave her a couple thousand dollars on a study like 11 years ago or something. And it—it's we need more of that. Just like you said, we need more legitimate sources going, you know, you can't walk into a village and ask one guy if he's rich from hunting. And then when he says no, say there's no economic benefit to the region or there's no economic benefit to the conservation efforts. It's just their, their willingness to lie is aggravating.
2: Yeah. I don't, it's just, uh, from that standpoint, it, I would have to be like, I would want to take a deep look at whatever research that scientist had to say that there was no benefit. Cause I, like you said, I, I just, if I saw that effect, there's no way, there's no way that that's true. There's absolutely no way I've seen too much showing the opposite, you know, or where the, you know, where the science, I mean they- I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. They always bring up corruption, and absolutely, there's some corruption. There's some corruption in Africa. There's a, a fish and game guy in the Wisconsin selling sturgeon eggs for money. like there's corruption, right? that That's a real thing. And I know it happens, but like you said, like it's I mean, you just see there's there's hard data of villages being fed and growing and getting electricity, getting access to the internet and that money coming from hunting, as well as all the damn places where the hunting is legalized, the animal numbers are going up because the people see value in them.
1: Yeah. See, and here, this is what I need, What what is important to say. Sorry to cut you off, Cody, but this no, is I'm where rambling. you don't need, need to rely on peer-reviewed science. They are people use peer-reviewed science as this ivory tower that everything has to bow down to, but there is nothing wrong with anecdotal evidence. Just like Cody explained, to show this village is getting meat, this village has got electricity, this village got a school because of hunting. You don't need a peer-reviewed science article to prove that too true. And I think that that sometimes hinders. The, the, the proof around what hunting is doing for people and wildlife anywhere in the world, including here in the United States, that we've got this mentality, and I'm a scientist, so I understand the value of peer-reviewed articles, and there is value to them. I'm not saying that there isn't, but I'm saying that we shouldn't use it as a crutch uh, against the good work that is happening all the time that you don't necessarily need science to prove.
0: Oh, but okay, so let me ask a college dropout question. But why can't we have one? Why why can't we have a peer-reviewed scientific article that says bullshit? Here's the amount of dollars and benefit and population growth and habitat protection and restoration that's happened.
1: No, you can. And they are. But there's also the counter, right? And that's the unfortunate thing about science right now is that you can actually find both both sides of the the spectrum published in the peer reviewed system. And you know, you've got these. Pretty- but when they say there's no, in in the negative
0: ones, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I got, I'm getting red faced. There, they say the words "no economic benefit." That's a fucking lie. They're lying. It's a lie. There's no. There's no, no, there's no, you can't twist that as a scientist. You're just lying. It's just like the, when you were taught about a lie as a four year old, you're lying. You're, you're not, you're not twisting the data. You're not even manipulating the data. You're lying. And that part of it is what so much of this stuff is wrapped around because every time we bring it up, I doubt that there's very many people in the world that spend as much time as I do arguing online about this crap. And I mean, I'm in some, I'm in, an, I'm a one percenter of the amount of people that argue online on a daily basis of the value of hunting and conservation. And they, that's what they always come back with. They're always like, there's no benefit to the community. Here's, here's the Dr. Joe Bob's article about it. There's no, no benefit. And it's a lie. I said the F bomb and I need to shut up and let you guys talk. Sorry.
1: Lake, any last words since we're getting close to the top of the hour?
2: Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess my closing thoughts on that exactly is, you know, coming on it being a lie. It would be one of those things where like, if they came out with something and it was actually like that, the people against it trying to stop the hunting, if they came out with something and it was a legitimate argument, you know, like if they came out with with this statement and they were like, "Ah, oh, crap! They caught us." You know, we, we they 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 finally got us a good argument. They got us, but you hear you hear something like that, and you're just it it's you, you're just like, no, like that's not even worth worrying about because there's no way that's true. You know what I mean? Like that it's aggravating that they would say that because like well, that's kind of frustrating because there's yeah. some people that don't know any better that are probably going to buy into that, but from someone that doesn't even know. That much about it, especially as far as like the hunting going on in Africa. I'm no expert on that, but I know enough to know that saying there's no benefit is, is a complete pile of crock. You know, I'm like, it's, eh, it's
1: just not worth worrying about. That's right. And you also learned in your applied aquatic and terrestrial ecology class that elephants are either left handed and right, or right handed, right? Yeah,
2: and if you see one by itself, it's a male, and if you see group, it's going to be a
1: female because a female will never be by itself. See. I love it. Like you, you yeah, took was. what I, what I taught and you buried it into the back of your brain.
0: <laughs> that's actually the interview. That's actually the interview question at Primo's that got him the job.
1: It is. Yeah. Probably so.
0: Probably <laughs> so, so. The right-handed yeah. left-handed elephant thing.
1: Well, uh, from a, from my perspective, wrapping up the podcast, I do want to say happy anniversary to Cody. Thank you for being a part of our Blood Origins lives for a year. Um, You have just come on the scene from a podcast perspective starting in December. But Cody joined the Blood Origins family about a year ago. And we realized that we have not done a podcast purely about you, Cody. So there is a purely about Cody Heichmidt podcast coming in June that um, tell your wife to prepare. Four and a half minutes long. You tell your wife to prepare. You're going to get, like, love letters sent to you, you know, via mail and stuff like that, email and stuff
0: like that. Right. Are you actually going with the picture that you told me you're going with?
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, Cody sent me a high school, his high school senior picture, where he's not just holding one football. He's holding a football and a basketball in either hand. No, it's showing that, it, and really, what he's doing is it's a sim, its a symbology of how big a set of balls Cody has.
2: <laughs> I was going to take that a completely different direction, you know. Well, which
1: direction <laughs> were you going to take it? I'd love it's, to
2: hear that. I was going—you to know—I mean, I the man's a good ball handler. That's all. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's what that tells
1: me, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, no, like, there wasn't much
1: competition. <laughs> Well, Lake, we appreciate you. Thank you for believing in Blood Origins way back in the day, my friend. And, um, yeah, so good to see you. So good to catch up with you. And uh, we'll do it again.
2: Absolutely. Look, man, it's uh, it's it's a pleasure um, to do this, to hop on. I'm honored y'all to ask me. Uh, you're going to have to come back on the Primo's podcast soon. Shoot, Cody can come too, which Cody would probably have to come digitally. Okay, never mind. You say, Cody, there's no way that you can – there's no way, to- <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I, that, man. Like we talked, that's been five years ago. I, I still, to this day, like I'll get an inbox from somebody from Merriman, and they'll be saying something about that episode we filmed years that's ago. Awesome. So it, it's it's been it's encouraging, and I'm proud of what y'all are doing. So thank you, and thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks, man.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life.
0: Yeah, baby, 6'8 Western. I'll over there, baby,
1: right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.